Welcome to the programme. How are you doing? It's Wednesday. It is the 14th of June, 2023. It's very warm again, but not as warm. It's more bearable today. Hope it's all uh, good in your world. I'll be taking your telephone calls, your Skypes and your WhatsApps today. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. So do get in touch. I'll be opening the lines around about 5.30pm. That is British Summer Time. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, now I've already put the details on the website. I've put them or placed them on Twitter and on Facebook, okay? The contact details, the Skype name, which is Chat with Richie, the telephone number, and the WhatsApp number because there are three ways to reach the program. New callers are more appreciated today than anybody else. But if it has been quite a time since you've called in, we'll take your calls today as well. I'll move it along as quickly as I possibly can. That's how I'm going to do it today. I'm I'm blooming warm, but thank heavens for... I've said this too many times, but I really am grateful for air conditioning. I wonder how long air conditioning will be permitted as we face the climate catastrophe. Come here, and I tell you, did you see that story today about the Belgian dipstick... Everybody's a dipstick to you, Baldy. I know, I know. But I'm a dipstick, right? Did you see this story? I posted it to the website about this Belgian guy who felt his family were not keeping in touch as much as they should and he thought they could do with learning a lesson. Now, what would a normal person do? Well, you'd phone them up and you'd say, come here, I'm a bit lonely over here. I'm a bit isolated. Do you mind them maybe including me in one or two Get, get togethers like do you mind like but no no this dipstick faked his own death waited a few days and then turned up at the funeral his own funeral and scared the living shit out of everybody there and of course he put it all on TikTok because he has a TikTok channel doesn't he mad stuff Ted narcissism reigns we are moving in I think we're already there everybody's living on video channels on video channels like TikTok and others. This is where people will reside, wanting the world to watch them and to validate them, filming every aspect of their lives. Mad shite, Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol is right, Baldy. Hang on, I just do this. Make a little adjustment there, and I should be all right. I should be back in the room. That's mad stuff, isn't it? Why he isn't under arrest, is anybody's guess, because while I don't know the law in this instance, I would have a little shilling or two on, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, on it being illegal to fake your own death and turn up to your own funeral. I imagine there are safeguarding issues there, you know, like um, you can't control what might happen to those you leave behind even though you haven't left them behind, like, you know, something might happen, somebody might become very overcome with grief and do something. Anyway, one of the more bizarre stories I've read this week or any other week, and speaking of bizarre, I met the most honest person I've met in a long time the other morning. I meant to tell you this. The honesty absolutely staggered me, right? I was coming out of um, Tesco. I might as well say Tesco. And there was a chap standing by my car and he was visibly upset and sobbing. So 
you know, as anybody else would, I asked him what was up with him, what was going on. And he says to me that he was short 11 pence and they, presumably he meant they in the supermarket, wouldn't sell him a can of beer. Now, this was quarter to seven in the morning, by the way, right? Very quiet, nobody around. Saturday, I think. So I'm looking at him, strangely. And he says, I'm an alcoholic, by the way. He says, I have to have a drink. Um, so I said, would you not go to a meeting? Have you been to one? And he said, the meetings are no good. I said, do you have a sponsor? And he said, no. And then he said, I swear. He said, I don't want to go robbing, but I'll have to. And he turned and he walked away. And I said, feck it. So I said, hang on a minute. And there is a cash machine sold for Tesco just by the back door, right? So I ran around, got a couple of bob and gave it to him and asked him to swear that he wouldn't rob anyone, at least not today in any case. You know, the absolute honesty of the chap. I couldn't get over it, really. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I don't want to go robbing. And if I was in his situation, I was wondering, would I, would I say that? Would I be honest enough to say I'm an alcoholic? Because I've heard it all from alcoholics over the years. And I'm, I'm sympathetic, you know. Empathetic, sympathetic. I've heard it all. I need money for baby food. Sure you do, you know. I need money for a hotel room. That's a classic. But to come out and say it, I'm an alcoholic and I need a drink and I don't want to go robbing as he walks away anyway. It's uh, five and a half minutes. So it is past the hour of five o'clock this Wednesday here at BBG Towers. And I've got to make another little minor adjustment here. I've done it. And we're back in the room again. Don't ask me. If you <clears throat> are near a television now, I'd rather you didn't watch it. Excuse me for coughing. I'd rather you stayed with me, stayed in the room with me, stay in the present with me. But if you do, you switch on BBC News 24 or you switch on Sky News, you will see that there, the news channels are covering a vigil at Nottingham University. You know that three people were murdered yesterday in a bit of a rampage. It seems it might have been a man whose origins are in West Africa, but is um, a resident here in the UK. They're blaming this guy for it. There are videos of him being tased while being arrested by the police and uh, being bundled into a police van. So you may have seen all of this stuff, right? Anyway, so thousands of people have turned up to this vigil. I, I, I promise I won't dwell too much on this because longer or older listeners to the show will have heard me discuss this phenomenon too many times and I can hear you yawning already. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, stop it now. I'll be brief, right? Thousands of people have turned up. Not students of Nottingham University, although many students from Nottingham University are there, but lots of other people, younger people, far too young to be third level students. The BBC website, if you don't believe me, is reporting thousands. What are they doing there? Why? Why would you turn up to be at a vigil for somebody you've never met in your life, ne probably never would have met, and someone you don't know. What's going on? Well, I suppose you could argue it's an occasion, is what it is. And that's what the news is doing. It's not reporting on the news. It is creating a sense of occasion. I've talked in the past about how daytime soaps, daytime serial dramas were replaced by 24-hour-a-day news channels. This is my theory. You can shoot it down if you like. It is there to be shot at. It isn't a very academic theory or thesis. I've not, you know, I've not really gotten into it and published anything on it, but I've written about it and talked about it. 
So you used to have your, 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 your afternoon soaps. Now you've got, if you walk into a building, a public building, gyms even, you will see television sets, very old-fashioned, or flat screens, and they will be broadcasting Sky or BBC News. And they don't report on the news now. Okay, they, what, what, what they do is create a sense of occasion and they invoke a sense of participation rather than consumption. So we used to watch the news to be informed about something. It was something you consumed. Now they want you to participate in it, to be involved in it. It's quite bizarre to watch this. I watched uh, Sky News, so Sarah Jane Mee is a Sky News presenter, and she's giving a running commentary as the camera pans over the wailing families, families even, excuse me. All very weird, with lots and lots of people there, with nothing invested in what's happening. You know, no connection to the families, no connection to the university. They're just there. And many of them, of course, will take to their TikTok accounts and their Twitter accounts later on to post photographs to show that they were there. And the running commentary by the presenters back in the studio is absolutely vaudevillian. It's crazy. You know, commenting on the families are coming in now to two families of the two students who were murdered and you can see they're holding hands there the families there and every moment or two the presenter will in will intru- will introduce something will 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 emote <clears throat> excuse me bit of a sore throat today i hope i'm not getting a summer cold i don't think i am but the presenter will say you know the family's there and then oh, oh, well it's very tough obviously and the families and, and there's the chaplain over there and there's the dean of the university grief culture it's mental it's absolutely mental crazy pathos everywhere. I mean, where's the story? There's no news there. I mean, yesterday some West Indian man went batshit crazy and did a terrible thing, allegedly. That's the news yesterday. But following the families around and creating this sense of atmosphere and drama isn't news. If you'd like to comment on that, please do so via the website or send a message through the app. That is the app for The Richie Allen Show, which you can find on your mobile phone of choice. 10 minutes past the hour. I should play the contacts jingle, shouldn't I? Here's one of them anyway. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Yeah, no, there is a WhatsApp number for the programme too. It's 075659. Four double two seven zero, zero seven five six five nine, four double two seven zero. And the clever thing to do is, if you plan on calling me via WhatsApp, is to send me a message on WhatsApp right now to indicate that you'd like to come on. Right, so it's zero seven five six five nine four double two seven zero. Again, all of those details have been published on richieallen.co.uk and on the Facebook and on the Twitter accounts. Now the BBC, it was announced last year this, but it's back in the news this week. The BBC has targeted, it wants to make sure, it wants to change the makeup of its staff and it wants to make sure that 25% of its staff are from disadvantaged socio-economic backgrounds by the year 2027. Right, this was announced late last year but it's back in the news today. It wants 25% of its staff, one quarter, to come from disadvantaged 
socio-economic backgrounds within the next four years, right? It's rebranding some of its local offerings. It's expanding its operations overseas, is the BBC. It says by 2027, we want 25% of our staff to come from a lower economic uh, background or socio-economic background. What's going on? Well, Rebecca Bryan represents a group called Defund BBC. You can probably guess what their aim is. Yeah, that's right, to do away with the um, licence fee. Here's Rebecca Bryan speaking to Talk Radio earlier. I mean, I think the problem they've got there is actually that socio-economic um, category there doesn't actually... Um mean that you're going to be working class you know you can be pretty poor as an adult and come from you know been to boarding school or been to a university and you're now you know decided that life on the dole is a better life for you and you know that those people exist so i think this is all about the bbc trying to look like it's doing something to redress its issues with groupthink but i don't think this is the answer to the problem because Outlook is the answer to the problem. You've got a broadcaster here that forces people to pay the licence fee, but during the height of the lockdown, um, was voted the least impartial broadcaster in the UK. Yeah, the least impartial broadcaster in the UK. It was voted that during lockdown. That's interesting because I published, I didn't publish anything. I posted to the website yesterday a story which I found interesting. It's about um, how people consume news. Interesting following on from the previous story where Sky and the BBC is trying to elicit an emotional response from the audience by the way it is covering the vigil in Nottingham for two people that nobody ever heard of. Right? And that's not to be unkind to the families of these people. It isn't. I'm making a point. I don't know these people. But um, according to Oxford University's Reuters Institute... This was announced yesterday. 48% of people around the world are... Uh, no, let me, let, me get, let, me, let me start again. Um, the number of people taking a strong interest in the news has dropped by a quarter in the last six years, according to Oxford University's Reuters Institute. So in six years, the amount of people or the number of people taking a strong and active interest in the news has declined by 25%. In the UK, the proportion of people interested in the news is lower than the global average uh, at 43%. The global average is 48%. So less than one in two people take a strong or active interest in the news. And it's on the decline. And it's on the decline here in the UK. Now, I didn't get into this report in any detail because I haven't had time so I can't say that the decline in interest in the news is down to people becoming more aware of the fact they are not being presented with the news. In fact, they are being presented with propaganda. I can't say that. I can guess that. I can guess it, and I'm sure you might guess the same. But it's interesting. Four in ten people say they trust most news most of the time. That's down two percentage points on last year alone. Isn't that interesting? The BBC, however, is considered to be the most trusted news brand in the UK, followed by Channel 4 and by ITV. It's interesting stuff, that. Let's leave the BBC and its desire to get poor people to come and work for it alone for the moment. So Donald Trump obviously has been in the news. I don't cover this stuff ordinarily because it doesn't matter 
but um, you have an appetite for it. I get asked all the time why you don't talk about Donald Trump. I think it's because when I'm sp- maybe there is a proportion or a percentage of listeners to this program who actually are not really listening. I explain why. Two cheeks of the same backside and all of that. But you know that Trump has pleaded not guilty to historic charges of mishandling sensitive files. Uh, This happened at a federal court in Miami, Florida yesterday. He's the first US president, current or former, to be given a federal criminal indictment. He turned up, he pleaded not guilty, as I just said. He then went to a rally in New Jersey and bitched about Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden and anyone else that you can think of. Um, Nigel Farage, interestingly enough, was invited on to Good Morning Britain today to talk about his good friend Donald Trump and whether or not he stands behind him or not. I've always stood behind Donald Trump. I've always felt on the really big issues, global issues, he gets things right. What about nicking all these documents? Well, hang on a second. I mean, Hillary Clinton, on her private server, had all sorts of top secret... Two wrongs don't make a right, Conver- I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Mike Pence had documents he shouldn't have had. Joe Biden had documents he shouldn't have had. So Hillary, they're, all, they're all at it. Hillary Clinton mm. cleared her server before giving it over to the FBI. Whether Trump has made clerical errors, whether he was wrong to have some of that stuff, I honestly don't know. But what you can see is a very politicised judiciary going after one man. And it's ugly. Do you think it is make, very, very Do you think ugly. he'd make a good president in the second term? I think he made a very good president in his first term. In yeah. many, many... Do you know, an American president... Why did an American they... president not going to war why didn't they and not dragging us in, I but, find that rather attractive, But actually. potentially... Go... Farage finds it rather attractive that Trump didn't go to war. He dropped more missiles, or more missiles and bombs were dropped in the Middle East on Trump's watch than on Obama's watch. That's a stone-cold fact. Facts don't mean anything to Nigel Farage, who's telling anybody who will listen that climate lockdowns are a thing of the future. You heard it here first, says Farage. This is yesterday. (laughs) Right, climate lockdowns are coming, says Farage. You heard it here first. Sure you did. Let's leave Farage alone and his chum, Donald Trump. What else have I got for you before we take phone calls? Annabelle Denham writes for the Telegraph newspaper. You might know that, you might not. She's been watching the COVID inquiry, as it's uh, hearing from witnesses this week, publicly for the first time. Annabelle Denham, that's right. So what are, our, what are her impressions then of watching the COVID inquiry? She tells Talk TV's Mike Graham, here are my impressions, she says. It was descending into farce long before we even had the first hearing. I think it cost around £85 million before the first hearing. The estimates now is that the cost could exceed £500 million. We know that it is going to be extremely expensive. We know that it is going to last a very long time. What we don't know is if actually it's going to answer or even ask any of the really important questions like why did the the first lockdown endure beyond the three weeks? Hmm. Was the idea of the first lockdown not to squash the sombrero? Why was it that lockdown sceptics were uh, shut down? Why did the government continue with banning outdoor meeting once they knew that transmission risks were extremely low. These are really important questions. Why weren't there 
thorough impact assessments of the, the cost of lockdown, of what the economic and social cost would be, even if we were able to prevent some people from dying of the coronavirus. Was lockdown, you know, really blunt policy tool actually necessary at all? Because we saw uh, countries like Sweden uh, presenting uh, citizens with the information and allowing them to take and judge risks, uh, perhaps according to their own uh, health conditions and so on and so forth. Mm. And why didn't we have that here in the UK? But instead, the COVID inquiry is beginning to look like um, less scrutiny and more scapegoating. So yesterday, what we did have were the left-wing shibboleths being trotted out about Brexit being to blame. For I the couldn't fact believe Brexit got mentioned in the first day. I mean, that was incredible. It really was. Perhaps we ought to have seen it coming. Austerity was also mentioned, mm. you know, that austerity that we saw uh, after the 2010 general election. Although, actually, funding to Public Health England for the p- prevention of infectious diseases actually increased over that period. Yeah, Annabel Denham there speaking to Talk Radio or Talk TV or whatever it calls itself these days. Now, this is very interesting. You know, Miriam Cates is a... Conservative Party MP and it is believed that her star is on the rise, okay? She's a kind of a right-wing Tory MP, says all the right things when it comes to gender ideology and, and whatnot and it's a, it, it's really believed that she's the next, you know, she might be the Conservative Party's answer to, I don't know, somebody like uh, your man in Florida why is my, my, my mind is gone? It must be the heat. <laughs> What's that governor's name? It'll come to me in a moment anyway. You know what I mean, right? Now, she recently gave a speech, and in the speech she spoke of declining birth rates here in the UK. And as a, as a way of explaining, in her opinion, why birth rates are declining, she invoked cultural Marxism. And this has been a bit controversial. So have a listen to this little bit of uh, audio from Politics Live Today, a panel show on BBC Two, which uh, takes place daily, where they discuss the issues, allegedly. So Miriam Cates was on there, and sitting alongside her was Tracy Braben. She's a former actress. These days, she's a, a Labour mayoress of West Yorkshire. And she wanted to bring up this cultural Marxism thing. So have a listen to this. It, it's kind of funny, this. Uh, I think we'll hear from Braben first. But if I could just ask Miriam just about the choice of cultural Marxism. And it sounds fantastic, you know, wanting more family um, time and women to be able to have more children and so on. But why did you choose that phrase that could be so offensive to well, people? Well, firstly, I wasn't saying that that was the cause of low birth rates. And, uh, you know, that has been widely misreported. As I said, the first, the majority of my speech was talking about these economic factors. But you did use um, that phrase. Yeah, yeah, let me come, to, come on to that. But I wasn't saying that those factors were causing low birth rate. I was saying they were contributing to a lack of hope in our current generation of young what people. What does it so, mean? So, so cultural Marxism in centre-right circles is a kind of catch-all phrase for the kind of critical social justice theories. So whether that's critical race theory, gender ideology, those kind of things that, you know, myself and many others in Parliament have been campaigning against being taught uh, in schools and universities. There's but strong it- evidence to just... Now, I, I understand that in some corners of the internet that it has some sort of conspiracy theory connotations. I wasn't aware of that. As I said, that's not how it is used in many centre-right academic papers and journalists. Uh, well, journalists and, even and in the way you are using it, what, uh, what's your issue with that, Tracy? Yeah, what is Tracy Braben's issue with the term cultural Marxism? Remember, she is a Labour mayoress of West Yorkshire. Listen to this. 
Well, it certainly is offensive to um, Jewish people who uh, we know that... It's offensive to Jewish people. That there is that sense around the country with far-right leaders that uh, we are, there are sections of society that the, uh, the birth rate is rising faster than us, therefore we should be um, uh, worried about that because we are going to be... Well, well I don't... Uh, we are going to uh, I don't ascribe disappear that at all. And, and where Viktor Orban is paying um, uh, well, women yeah. to have children. Well, to, well, I, to don't, you know, I, just, I do not ascribe to that at all. And, you know, just last night I was at the 75th anniversary celebrations of Israel as an independent country hosted by the Israeli embassy. This well, conference was hosted by uh, an Israeli Jewish philosopher. You know, I am not no, no, I take, uh, going I to ascribe to any of that, but, but it I, is a useful term. Yeah, but what I meant was the term circles. in the way you are using it. I mean, one of the, one of the other options, of course, is uh, higher levels of immigration. Uh, higher levels of immigration could lead to a higher birth rate. Would you be in favour of that, Miriam? Well, I don't think it is the answer because the evidence suggests that after one or two generations, uh, it potentially uh, increased birth rates amongst immigrant communities actually uh, just aligns to the, to the rest of the right, well, Yeah, using a term like cultural Marxism, which is pretty harmless. I mean, I, 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 to be honest with you, believe that cultural Marxism as a term is quite often used by people who don't understand the meaning of it. And even those who do understand the meaning of it, it's basically just become a cliché. Okay, I'm not saying that it doesn't have some influence in, in modern politics and, and in the unfolding agendas we talk about. I'm not saying that, don't get me wrong, but it's become a bit of a cliché and uh, it's, becoming, it's become a bit trite in, in my opinion. I was, of course, attempting to, 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 to invoke, I was attempting, it was, stop, put your teeth back in or get off the air. I was thinking of Ron DeSantis, wasn't I? Is that Miriam Cates is going down that road, seemingly. Maybe she isn't. Maybe I'm talking through my backside. Uh, hi to Gabriel. How are you doing, Gabriel? Hi to Teddy, who says, Richie, you're correct about the news not being news as such. My opinion, says Teddy, is that it is trying to get a person emotionally involved in the article. It's easier to control people if they are in an emotional state rather than a logical one. Yes, and that's what I wrote three or four years ago pre-COVID, I wrote a, an extensive article and I did a series of live monologues talking about how the news reports on, for example, a terrorist attack or an alleged terrorist attack. You know, I spoke about this new phenomenon. We saw it yesterday. You know, the afternoon presenters on Sky News presented from Nottingham Streets yesterday. Again, it, it's almost like they're trying to draw in the viewer in the way that you would if you were, I don't know, to to produce a a serial thriller like 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. You know, they're there all the time. People are glued to it. They find themselves wanting to keep switching back over to it. What's going on? Is there any news from Nottingham? It's all very silly because the guy was in custody before before the mid-morning, the guy had been tased and he had been arrested. It had been announced that three people, tragically, had been murdered by the guy. Yet, for the entire afternoon and early evening, news channels sent their presenters to present their shows live from the scene where nothing was happening. It's quite paradoxical, really, from the point of view of production, because I've been a producer of news as well as a newsreader and talk radio show presenter and TV presenter. So I've been on all sides of that. It's farcical to go there when it's all over. 
you know, a man attempted to kill people on London Bridge and he was subdued by some heroes. Yeah, and then you spend two days presenting from the scene. Why? And I've, like I said, I've written about this. It's a real phenomenon that is relatively new. It's only been, I suppose, in this country, the first time we saw anything like it was in the wake of the 7th of July bombings in London, which, as we know, is one of the greatest false flag attacks in the history of false flags. The four guys blamed for blowing up tube stations and trains and buses in London didn't do it. I'm convinced. I've got to say that's my opinion. You know, because I've seen all the evidence. I've some unbelievable work done by Tony Gosling and others. Nick Collarstrom, who these days will be labelled, and he has been labelled as a Holocaust. Well, he has denied the Holocaust, hasn't he, Nick Collarstrom? Which is which is rather sad, really. You know, this uh, brilliant mind. Excuse me, I've knocked my microphone. This great mind, this very sharp academic has gotten it so wrong on Nazi Germany, in my opinion. But the work he did on the 7th of July bombings is unimpeachable. I mean, it really is. And it was kind of since then in the UK that they treated a terrorist attack almost as though a location crew would treat shooting a drama for the BBC or ITV. You know, breathless presenters keeping you up to date. It's all over, love. It's all over. You missed it. It happened this morning. They tased the West African man. They chucked him in a paddy wagon. Apparently he is as mad as a box of frogs. Apparently he's known for having serious mental problems. That's the story. It's over now. But they're there. And now we've got uh, Bill. Bill, you're a student. Well, what's the feeling amongst the students of Nottingham? Oh, well, Sarah, people are shocked. And What? It's crazy. It's uh, 29 and a half minutes past the hour. Taking your telephone calls, your Skypes and your WhatsApp messages in a moment. I've got to say it again. The details are on the website, richieallen.co.uk. But um, here are the phone and Skype details in any case. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Yeah, and if you don't call me, I'm faking off to the pub. There are two pubs in my general vicinity. One is about 300 metres away, maybe 400. The other one is about half a kilometre away. But I don't get any calls because I thought it might be a bit risky with the weather being as it is, doing a phone and even though we have legions of listeners. Thank you, by the way, for listening. I mean that. Um, you know I've been streaming with a new company. They're a company based in Hull. They're amazing. Broadcast radio, they're great. They built the app for me. Um, there are record numbers now listening to this programme live. And that's wonderful. Hundreds of thousands of people are tuning into the app on a daily basis, either to hear the programme live or to catch it on one of the re- repeats. Literally hundreds of thousands. And it's nearly 3 million downloads a month now, the podcast. Nearly 3 million. It was 2 million for several years. 2.5 million. And I'm so proud of that. I'm proud of you for supporting it. So please continue to support it, right? I know times are hard at the moment for everybody, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm producing five live radio shows a week of a pretty decent standard 
and the streaming costs and the podcast hosting costs, they're astronomical. So help out, please, if you can. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, news is funny. It's funny how news has changed. And I was going to, I won't bore you, I was going to go on the road with a programme, not a programme, with a stage show, a comedy show basically about how the news has evolved over the years. I had some amazing bits to put in there, (laughs) which if I was to do it again, I probably wouldn't include now. There was one memorable little bit of audio. In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine recently. You might remember before, you won't remember this. God, I nearly nearly did a James O'Brien there. I nearly did a James O'Brien. I nearly did a David Brent. I nearly said, you might remember a show I did four years ago. Jesus. I know you don't remember what I did last week because I don't remember what I did last week either. But we had a great gas with a monologue about four years ago. Uh, the Ginger Ninja K. Burley was on Sky News and they were trying to really push the flu jab really hard. Remember, it was funny stuff. It was belly laughs. I never had so many emails after a monologue people saying wow Richie not only did I chuckle along with you Richie but it really demonstrated to me how the media works I don't have the clips to hand they're on a pen drive or a USB stick which is locked away somewhere but it was very funny Kay interviewed a woman about 7.30 in the morning a doctor a young doctor a fetching a fetching young filly a good looking lady Young, right? And very articulate. So they brought her on. And Kay said, well, we've got Dr. Such and Such a person now in the studio. Talk to us about the flu jab, doctor, and why it's so important that, you know, people go and take it up. And this um, young, blondie, attractive doctor hadn't read the, me- the, the, the memo, dear listener. And she said to Kay Burley, you might remember this. She said to Kay Burley, she said, um, well, if you're, you know, if if you're likely to be badly affected by the flu like if you're likely if you're somebody who gets the flu and it really knocks you down you might want to go and get it and um you know vulnerable people and whatnot but that's about the size of it this is hilarious and the reaction of Kay Burley was hilarious and Burley is looking at her and the doctor's like you know most people they get flu says the doctor and they are confined to their bedroom for a couple of days says the doctor and plenty of fluids and whatnot, and take your, your 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 vitamins and whatnot, and you'll get over it, you know. Anyway, how it normally works in television news, and this is a fact, this isn't conjecture. They return, they do the same stories every hour, but they use clips from the interviews they've done earlier on. So in the next hour, Kay would do the story again. And she would say, the NHS is urging people to come forward for their flu jab. In the last hour, I spoke to lovely, sexy, young Dr. Mary O'Mahony. That wasn't her name, by the way. But what was hilarious was, when they came up to the next hour, and it came to the same time, quarter to the top of the hour, Kay said, now the NHS flu jab. And she had a dog, she had a doctor in the studio. And he was some bloke that they'd rushed in. He was wearing a Gansey, kind of a sweatshirt, and he looked a bit rough, uh, the guy did, and they brought him in. I don't even know if he was a doctor, but that's a terrible accusation I'm making against Guy, and I have no proof that he wasn't a doctor. But they wheeled this guy in anyway. Instead of using the interview from earlier, from, from the previous hour, and Kay says to the guy, tell us who should have the flu jab, and the guy said basically everybody. Everybody. Children. 
because children need to get it to protect granny and granddad. They were saying, or, or, or they were pushing that protect granny bullshit long before COVID. And that's how the media works. And that's the sort of thing, you know, that I would have been doing and that I'm interested in is how the media does what the media does. But when I was eating me breakfast, me breakfast, I'm never going to, I'm never, I'm, I'm, it's me breakfast, right? I get hammered for this. Richie, back in the day, you wouldn't have gotten away with that. It's my breakfast. I speak as I am. So I was eating my breakfast and I see this guy being wheeled in then to tell people. And I chopped it up and I played it four years ago. And that's the sort of thing that I would have been using in the live show. But it's so funny, so blatantly obvious, you know. Anyway, they'll do it again this winter, won't they? They'll tell people to get their flu jab. I think I uh, should be reading some comments, but I'm going to take phone calls now. Would you like to get involved? Would you like to phone the programme? I'm going to give you one more time, even though it's on the website, the WhatsApp number. You can reach me by via WhatsApp. If you'd like to talk to me via WhatsApp, y- you can ring if you like, but send a message saying, Richie, it's Mark, or Richie, it's Maria, and I'd like to come on, and I'll get you on between now and 7 o'clock. The WhatsApp number is 075-659-42270. That's the WhatsApp number now, 075-659-42270. And this is never monitored outside of a phone-in show, and yet people still try to ring it around the clock. I don't know what's wrong with you. It's just a WhatsApp number for the phone-in shows. That's the number. Here are the Skype and regular telephone numbers. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 Talk to Richie now. So talk to Richie now. I'd love to hear from you. You have the details. Get in touch. I think we, we, we have um we have we have takers already, we have takers already. Let's get Faisal on. Because Faisal has not been on for ages. And um he's a good lad is Faisal. And he stands by, he says to me, Richie, I'll stand by just in case you're stuck, even though we're never stuck for callers on this programme. Let's welcome back our old pal Faisal. It's been ages, Faisal. How are Hello. you? Now Turn on, turn on that microphone or unmute yourself there, pal. Oh, hang on. You're, you're uh, live. You're there. You're there. You're there. You are oh, in I'm the there. room. Sorry, Faisal. Yeah, welcome, pal. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm 100%. I'm cool, calm and collected in a beautifully air-conditioned studio. Thanks to our listeners, Faisal. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, a, it's a ground floor flat here, so it's not too hot in here at the moment. Yeah, you can't be that. I'm upstairs. I would be melting if it wasn't for the aircon, but thank God uh, for it. Well, look, you're going to kick off things, buddy. Was there anything in the news roundup that tickled you? The Nottingham Vigil, I don't know. Uh, the BBC wanting to get poor people on staff. Lots we could get into, but it's over to you. Go ahead. Well, um, the, I suppose the Nottingham thing, the, the only thing I, I found strange, I, um, somebody sent a link for that uh, Channel 4 interview of that woman who, who witnessed... Uh, part of it and I, I i listened to it later and it was very strange that uh, uh she she described the van uh driving up she saw I, I think it drove up beside her or something like that and then sped up and drove into uh, uh those two uh pedestrians i think it, it it hurt one quite badly but but they both walked away from it that the pedestrians 
But she also said that there was a police car slowly following the van. Is that what the eyewitness said exactly, word for word? Yes. Because that is interesting. Yeah. Now, for listeners who don't have a clue what's going on in Nottingham, it is alleged that a West African gentleman, we shouldn't call him that, he's, he's, he's a naturalised British citizen now, but he originated... Yeah, she said he had dreadlocks or something. She didn't that's say right. Else. Now, he is supposed to have murdered a gentleman stolen his van and then driven the van wildly around the streets trying to hit people with it so it's alleged that he found the sorry that he murdered the van owner got into the van and started driving at people so the lady said that he so he he hit two people with the van but they walked away and this woman says because this is interesting that she reckons a police car was following him yeah, yeah, and and then the, the thing is, it's a little confused. That uh, uh, um, she said at the beginning, she saw a police car slowly following the van before it sped up, and then she uh, she said she saw a bunch of uh, uh, police cars chasing it once it sped off at that point. So it it it's not clear whether it 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 implies that the van was going slowly beforehand with the police following slowly. Because I don't see how the police could have followed slowly if, if the van was already at great speed. Listen, just to be point. the devil's advocate, could it be mm-hmm. that in the chaos and the the confusion and the madness that maybe the lady is mistaken about the police car following him? I suppose anything is possible, but still it bears looking into, doesn't it? It, it, it's worth looking at that interview. It was, uh, um, it, it, it's on the Channel 4 website. Um, it incidentally didn't. Uh, uh, somebody mentioned it. They they didn't have a link, so so I looked it up and I searched Channel Four uh, Nottingham, just to see, and then put it on uh, um, uh, uh, latest first kind of thing to get. Uh, you usually get all the things come up that have those words in it, and it didn't come up there. But I, uh, there were other reports from from Channel Four, so I looked at the website, and it was the most recent report yesterday on on, on the Channel Four website. Do you know what, Faisal? If there's something really untoward going on here, and that there's anything, you know, if if this is something that has been created by people to try and get an emotional response from the population, um. What the, the speed with which they jumped on it was yeah. was the thing that made me suspicious and talking about anti-terrorist police. I mean, people have been stabbed here just in the area where I live about once a year. It doesn't get on the news. Um, okay, so uh, uh, somebody got stabbed and then the person drove off in a stolen van. Okay, that makes it a little more spectacular. And then knock down a couple of people afterwards uh, during the police chase. That that seems to be the thing. It's very unusual, uh, the story. It's, but It's not being treated like that at all. It, it's being treated like a mysterious incident where there was just these... It started off with these bodies being found all over Nottingham, which is not what happened uh, in retrospect. Now that's not the way they talk about it. And but, that's but the impression it, that's the impression they gave early on because I yeah. was I was at my desk getting ready for yeah. the programme and uh, or preparing the programme. So I was watching this. You're right, Burley started bleating about multiple locations around Nottingham, the city being locked down. Now again, mm-hmm. critics of the false flag 
brigade would, and I'm not saying you're the fourth flag brigade, by the way, but critics of that brigade would say, "Well, I am, but yeah, <laughs> yeah." Look, we 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 know that false flags are are real and and have happened in the past, but but let's I'll, I'll be the devil's advocate here because I kind of am anyway. I'm not sure this is a false flag, but they will well, say, look, just th- things, things for years have been looking like false flags, whether they are or not, I don't know either. Yeah, but, but let, let me finish my point before you come back in. We, look, it brings us back to something that we will agree on. The media doesn't ask any questions. So no matter what event it is, you look back through mm. London Bridge and all of them, what the media does is it tells you what it has been told by the police but it doesn't ask any questions. It offers no criticism whatsoever. And it does that thing which we're seeing today. It attempts to elicit an emotional response from the viewers watching at home. But it isn't doing any journalism. On that will 100% agree. It's not, you know, I'm sure the producers at Sky News have heard the account from this lady. They, they would have heard that it is believed a police car was following the van slowly. Now, if they've heard that, it is their duty to follow that up and find out what's going on. But they won't, will they, Faisal? No, no. And, and, and that's why it's totally excusable for, for people to have various theories about it. And even... Even though I, I really don't think anybody can know for sure what happened in, in these sort of situations. I, I, I can understand thinking, oh, this is definitely fake or uh, uh, this was definitely staged or, 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 or something like that. Even though that's wrong, you don't know what happened there. The, no. the, it could have been a real incident and it's just the way they're reporting it. I'll tell you uh, something, Faisal. To make it deliberately look weird, to kind of uh, divide the population uh, and, and, and get them arguing about now, that's it. That's a very interesting theory, that, some, that the, the, the three people were murdered, but it is deliberately reported in a way to agitate people and to, to, to push people against one another, in, maybe in social media settings. I say this because I've seen a bit of it up to 4pm and just after 4 if the, the grief on display at Nottingham University by the mum and the dad of one of those students is real and raw. There's no, no doubt in my mind that these are genuine people. So somebody okay, was killed. I, I, yeah. I haven't seen that and, and, and that's quite possible. Um, but it, 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 even then you can never be 100% sure even in that direction. But yeah, it, it, it's quite possible that, that there was a stabbing um, and, 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 and there are there's real family uh, uh, kind of... Well, it's uh, easier to kill really people... Really about it and it, so on. It's easier to kill people, whoever is responsible for it, if the gentleman is under some sort of suggestion, you know, the guy who did it, if, if there's some sort of mind control, which some people will argue. I don't buy this now, but I'm saying some people will put it out there. When I say I don't buy it, I believe it's happened before. I believe Mark Chapman is in jail to this day for murdering John Lennon and he has no recollection of it because he wasn't... Um, in control of his own mind, I don't think when it happened. But well, again, there's, there's, there's various ways that Sir Hans, Sir Hans, another one. You say my, uh, uh, mind control, but if 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 you just make someone an offer they they can't refuse, like um, I don't know, let's say a guy's got family and 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 they say, well, look, we'll set up your family for life if you do this for us, and 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 they've caught him at a really low ebb, where things are going terribly financially for for him and so on that uh, um that level of coercion is also a kind of mind control but 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 not necessarily anything sort of science fictiony or fantastic Faisal before I take another call what about my contention that it's far easier to kill people 
than to genuinely murder people if you have another agenda than to invent it and create a... It's much easier, isn't it? I mean, it's obvious because you get genuine emotion. I wouldn't. It, it it's one much much more risky, because if if it backfires, you you're then uh, uh, on 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 the hook for murder. So if 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 you actually kill people, um, it's it's an incredibly risky thing to do. Anybody who's a part of that is going to be incredibly nervous and 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 possibly get get cold feet and 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 blab about the whole thing because they don't want to go down for murder. Or, or, or being an accessory, then it is to, uh, um, even though it may seem logistically more complicated to fake a killing, um, I don't think overall it is when, when, when it comes to faking a killing. I'm going to no argue with you. Hang on. Hang, hang on. Hang on. I, I don't buy this because you have several dozen more even speaking to Sky and the BBC um, students who took classes with these people. You, you say it's risky to kill people. I would argue it isn't because who's going to pull them up on it if it's the deep state, if it's intelligence agencies at work? Whereas if you're inventing it, and we're, we're, we're not talking specifically about Nottingham, we're talking about any of these incidents. If you're inventing it, you're taking a huge risk because, you know, it's, it, it should be pretty easy to say, well, who are these people? I mean, you'll have students at Nottingham and, and they would be saying, who the hell is that girl who says that she took law or she took pre-law or she took pre-med? I don't know who these people are. Do you get the point I'm making? Um, Before I take another call. I mean, that, I mean, that, I mean that, why would you do that? I mean, you're leaving yourself yes, wide you open. You, you don't have to have a completely fictional person. You, you can have a real person who's, who's just been given an, uh, uh, an incentive to disappear and start a new life somewhere. So, so they can genuinely go missing, um, but they don't necessarily have to be murdered. That's a brilliant first call. I'm not because buying I it, but it doesn't mean that... anything, me not buying it. It doesn't mean anything. It's just me not <laughs> buying it. Um, but there's a possibility. It's just something. Of I'm, course I'm... it's possible. Jesus, it is. Yeah. But I think, look, neither you nor I are evil people. And we couldn't imagine murdering somebody in order to bring about some sort of change or to create fear in the community. We couldn't do it, right? But if we were to do it, <laughs> I'd be saying, well, we're better to kill people than to stage it because so much can go wrong. Whereas if you kill people, you know, people will be dead and we'll, um, you know, then be able to deal with the victims, families and, and, and you know, get that emotional kind of payoff it, it, from it all of that. It how much control you have on information which i think is 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 the line we crossed some time ago where it's it's uh, if if you have a certain amount of control of information when, when it comes to the media when it even comes to local authorities then it, it's actually much easier to stage something than than i think people would uh, 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 think because even though that there, there might be people walking around who are saying well, that's very strange. I didn't see that. I was there at the time, and so on and so forth. Who are they going to talk to? Yeah, that's where, a good point. Anybody else would would hear about it. That's a good point because they're not going to get a hearing on the legacy media. No. Um, great first call. You've had the last word. I'm not going to editorialise. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, cheers. Faisal. Well done, buddy. Good call. That Faisal, long time listener. Faisal, there. Um, we're going to Italy in a few minutes, but I want to get another call in, maybe on this. Um, Call via three ways. You can Skype chat with Richie, so you can get on Skype, right? You can WhatsApp the programme, 
Uh, the WhatsApp number is as follows. I should have a jingle for this, excuse me. Zero seven five six five nine four double two seven zero. Don't worry about missing it. All the details are on Facebook, Twitter and on the website. We'll go to the mobile phones. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with? Hello, it, Richie. It's you, you're live. Who am I talking to? Hello, you're live. That's a terrible line, so what we'll do is we'll we'll get rid of that. And hopefully we can get that person back on a better line. Back to the mobiles. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking to? Richie, how you doing, mate? It's Donnie and Brian. How you doing, Donnie? Welcome back. I'm not bad, mate. Not bad. Just trying to trying to stay sane, bro. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. I'm cool and calm and, and collected. What would you like to say, Donnie? That's the AC, mate. I know. I've got it rocking and rolling in the car as well, mate. Well, I'd like, are you still there, mate? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you to, to make your point, buddy. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, basically, I wanted you to touch on your favourite which is flat Earth, mate. Isn't it? I don't want to talk about flat Earth today, Donnie. I really don't. In fact, I'm not I've going got, to talk about flat Earth today. I've got one bit of information, mate. One bit, my own proof. Go on. Yeah. You got, you got sixty seconds then on flat Earth. Oh, I, I want to talk about other things. Go on. I live on the coast, mate. So you walk to the beach, you take a fucking, sorry, you take a spirit level with you, you put it up to the horizon, and it comes up flat, mate. That's it. <laughs> I looked into it, everything else, this is my own, uh, my own summation, my own, uh, I don't know, I came up with this myself. I looked at all the information, there's absolutely no, not a shred of evidence for the globe of, uh, without getting into that, because that's what you don't want to get into. I'm not a flat earther. I really aren't. That's just somebody that just bangs that drum all day, every day. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. Just to be fair to you, repeat that again. You took a spirit level. Yeah, well, I drive at the coast, mate. So every time I drive past the horizon, which is short for horizontal, and I went past something that was flat, say a wall or a building, it measured up exactly the same. So I was like, okay. And I thought, you know what? I don't, I'm not a handyman, mate. I'm really, really not. So my mate Steve was. Uh, I went up to him. He didn't know why the hell I wanted to borrow a spirit level. When I told him, he had a fence there, which was perfectly in line with the horizon, and his head nearly exploded because he didn't know why someone like me would ever want a bloody spirit level because I couldn't yeah. make shit, mate. I mean, literally. So, <laughs> yeah, I just did that just to satisfy myself, mate. You know, literally. You take a spirit level, put it up to the horizon, and it's flat. So just to point that out. But I'm a bigger picture guy, mate. I'm all about the banks running the world. So. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, I know you don't like the stuff. No, no, there, it, it's just, it's 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 such a waste of time, well, isn't it? Level. Right, so so you want me to get a spirit level? I mean, I wouldn't know one end of a spirit level from another. No, but, it's, just, but, it's just like something for somebody, because I mean, I don't want the flat earthers to spray their shorts, because they are quite annoying, because it's the only, be the only drum that they beat, but I just don't see how you can argue with a, a tool for measuring a flat surface, which you... Which would more than suffice if you were building a house. But hang on, hang on a second. Hang on, hang on a second. Help out this guy who has never performed any DIY in his life. Help me out before we move on. And it's good to hear from you again, by the way, buddy. Even though I'm not interested in flat Earth today, um, doesn't the spirit level need to be placed against something solid? Doesn't it need to be rested against something? Well, that's not something that's the showstopper, is it, mate? You know, I mean, I held, I, I met balanced it on a bin, Richie. That's how technical I got. But Fair yeah, I'm sure you could I'm sure you could put it on a tripod or two and get some clever photographers to encompass the entirety of the horizon because they reckon that the, the globe Earth it is supposed to be eight inches per mile squared, you know, is the the math the mathematical equation that they themselves give us. But you take a spirit level and it measures flat mate. And you know it's like eight inches per mile squared. 
yeah, you think about that from your point to the horizon, but then you look at the horizon from left to right, how many hundreds of miles does that encompass? You know, it's like one fingernail is probably 10 miles, and there's no such thing as a curvature, mate. We'll leave, uh, we'll leave it there. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and crowdfund a trip on the rocket. Who's running the rocket? Bezos, isn't it? I'm going to no, crowdfund anyone it. Anyone can do it, mate. Anyone. <laughs> it's like literally. It's, it's really that simple. No, no, I'm going to the crowdfund a trip on the rocket so I can go up there and take a photograph of the curved earth. Anyway, Donnie, good, well, good, good to hear from you, pal. Mate. Yeah, I know, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's a couple of hundred thousand pounds. I, d- I don't reckon it's going to happen anytime soon. Donnie, thanks. Good to hear from you in Brighton. Thank you, Donnie. I'm not being rude to Donnie. I don't want to talk about Flat Earth. I just don't want to today. <laughs> not today. But um, Sean was in touch with me. And uh, he's in Trieste. So let's get him on if I can. Um, is it Sean? It is Sean. I'm flying. I'm, I'm managing. I'm, I'm, I'm operating and monitoring three channels here. Three different ways of calling in. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want any praise for that. But, you know, I'm, I'm multitasking here. I'm I'm rocking it really. Sean, welcome to the programme. How are you? Richie, how you doing? It's been a wee while. I'm good, thanks. It's, it's been good with you. It's been a long time, buddy. Things are really good with me. Um, thanks. Now, you're going to take us on or into a kind of a different topic entirely. It's about um, the migrant issue. You're in Trieste and you said you were about to video the size of um, the groups of people coming into Italy. But you got into a bit of bother. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in Trieste at the moment and I head back to Spain tomorrow, Richie. And yesterday when I was heading back, I had to do some training with the guys down at the base here in, uh, in the town. And on the way back, in the morning when I arrived, I arrived very late at night the night before. So I didn't see much of the town. So I made a point of saying, right, I'm going to walk home tomorrow <clears throat> when I get here, see a bit of the town. And between me leaving the base and getting to the hotel where I was standing, it was about a 30-minute walk, I passed through three green park areas. And all three green park areas were absolutely stowed out with migrants, all young men, all of what many people have said before, of fighting age, military age. And um, when I got to the third park, I thought, this is bloody ridiculous. How are the people putting up with this? So I, I pulled my phone out to get a wee video and uh, and as I pulled it out and I raised it, um, one guy came sprinting towards me. So I, I kind of sidestepped him and he fell on his arse in the road. And uh, all, all, all I got was, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And I thought, hey, get the fuck. And uh, then another few of them come over very, very aggressively. So uh, obviously I can't stand holding the phone up when I'm trying to protect myself, uh, which is what I've done. But uh, I backed off because I was getting surrounded then, and then I headed away to the hotel. But it reminded me of, uh, and what's what's been happening today in the UK, it reminded me of the, the letter from uh, 33rd Degree Mason, which was always dismissed as a conspiracy theorist, uh, theory. Uh, the letter from Albert Pike to Mazzini, where he, where he talked about, you know, how they would instigate the First, Second World War and then feeling that, how they moved to the Third World War. And uh, and they talked about releasing the nihilists. And um, I'm just thinking, could we, with what's going on globally, could we, and what I witnessed today, be at that stage now? Well, it's you, just we, a thought. Yeah, and, and, and it's, a, it's a legitimate thought. And 
everybody who's ever heard this program knows I'm not a virtue signaller, but I do like being the devil's advocate. Sean, I know where you're coming from, but to those who whose politics would be on, you know, the, the right of centre or maybe the far right of centre, not you now, I would say to them, and they don't like hearing this, this country here, and we, we can't accuse Italy of this, of course, but the country I live in, the, um, the United States, France, to a lesser extent, Israel, we played no small part in wrecking Libya, in wrecking Syria, in wrecking Afghanistan, making those I mean, places. I'm totally, I'm totally there with you, Richie. Yeah. I'm totally there with you. Listen, uh, I meet a lot of these people. About four years ago, I was in Cyprus in uh, Larnaca, and um, there was. I'll tell you a quick wee story. I know you got calls waiting to come in. I was sitting in a restaurant. I got off the ship this night. I went down to get a bit of decent food, you know. And this wee girl walked in. She was about the same age as my daughter at the time, about nine. And she was walking around begging and she was treated terribly and she was hungry, the poor wee thing. And I said, come and sit here. And uh, and I had a lot of people in the restaurant sneering at me and I sort of signaled to her, are you hungry? And she nodded, yes, didn't speak any English. She was from Syria and uh, and I, I bought her some food and, and a dessert. And I said, uh, where's, I introduced myself, and I said, where's where's your mummy and daddy? And she put her hand across her throat saying that her parents were dead. And I, I looked at her, and then I thought about my own daughter, and I just got all so choked up. Even now when I think about it, I get choked up. So I, I'm the last person that's going to feel any sort of um, bad feeling towards these people. I understand totally what's happened in their countries. And I know who's to blame for it as well. But I do believe that we're being taken as fools now. No and doubt. But do you know what's tragic, are... Sean? Do you know what's tragic about that? It is that I, I don't want to blame the conservative media like GB News and, and Talk TV. But I don't want to blame them. And it sounds like I'm going to blame them. I'm not going to blame them. But they are pushing this narrative, you know, that fighting age men, military age men are coming across in droves to this country and they represent a clear and present danger to our women and to our children. And of course, in some instances, maybe some of these men will. But they, you and I can talk openly about the, the reasons why these people are leaving these countries. And of course, it's not always the case that it's because we funded and trained ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all the rest of it. But but this never gets a mention. So the bloke who doesn't get his information from the independent media, he's getting it from the conservative media, the legacy conservative media, and his instinct then is to see the migrant as the enemy. And that is short-sighted, and it's no good really, is it? In my opinion. Yeah, I get exactly what you're saying there, Richie. But from my point, and I travel the world constantly, and um, and everywhere I go, I see it. I see it in some places. I see it more than others. But for me, um, the fact that there's no women there, you know, I would want my wife. I would want my mother. I, if I'm looking for a better life, I, I want to take them with me. There are no children. There are no no women. There are no older women, older men. It's all very young men who are quite uh, quick to square up to you yeah. if they feel that. And, well, I, and that's what I can't get my head around. And I've, I'm certainly... I suppose if, you know, if, you, if, if people started sticking a camera, I, I don't mean you now, but if, if I had lots of people 
sticking cameras in my face and and you knew that those people were hostile to your presence and didn't want you there that might make you a little bit riled up but can I just say this as well you talked about them coming over without their women and children you and I are the finest of Irishmen Sean you and me right our people often did that they often young men went to England particularly to England and sent money back to girlfriends and fiancés and wives so that's not unique to migrants coming to Europe from, from sub-Saharan Africa or from the Middle East. We did it ourselves. We went over and we sent money back. I'm just saying that. I'm going to lose a lot of listeners here. <laughs> I, That's I what's hope, going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, Reggie, I hope the hell you're right. I really do. Um, but I'm, I'm beginning as time goes on and the how more. Do you remember the last time we spoke a couple of years ago and I, I said to you about... Um, the guy that I'd met who was with the uh, London School of Economics. You remember that story? Vaguely, remind me. Where he had, he had talked about how things were going to pan out. I met him 20, 21 years ago, and he told me exactly how things were going to pan out, and everything's happened. And, I had, and then he had talked about the depopulation agenda and how the, they were going to, to... Your head would be spinning from the amount of different angles you were going to be attacked. And he said, you'll be begging for war. That's how uh, screwed yeah. up in the head they're going to make you. And the, it just makes me think, because people now, look at the, you know, what you referred to as the the uh, uh, truth or industrial complex. And I look at them now and I, and I look at some of their comments and I have to hold back from commenting. And it's like they're, they're going stir crazy at the moment. And, and I can understand that. Uh, the the great saviors haven't come to save them, and um, and they're they're now getting into panic mode. But I believe that things will sort itself out, and I think these people that you know the the global elites and all the rest of it, I think they feel like they are backed in a corner, uh, like a rabid dog, and they're fighting for survival. That's what I really believe, and I think when you're when you're put in that position, you will do whatever it takes to maintain authority and maintain control. And I don't think uh, they're very confident about their own position. And that's my honest opinion. It's a great call, Sean. Brilliant stuff, mate. Thanks for that in Trieste today, but heading back to Spain, seeing large numbers of of men. And you know, and you, you've already spoken about it, Sean. You know, it'll be man against man. It'll be bloke against bloke. You shouldn't be in my country. We don't have the resources. All of this is true, by the way, but we're just being set against one another. By a, by an agenda that it, it's for everybody. It isn't exclusively against us. I mean, th- these people who put out this, you know, it's whites being targeted. It's just nonsense. It's for every human being on the planet. This jackboot is, in my opinion, yep. isn't it? Ab- ab- absolutely. And if you can squeeze one last wee thing in there, Richie, of course you can, Paul, just go before ahead. I sign off, I know you're a busy man. Uh, Kate Shamarani that was on last night. Yeah. I noticed a distinct change in your tone with her. What's going on there? Because the last time I heard you interviewing her, you were, to say, slightly standoffish. Well, but last night you were very amicable. Well, and, well, funnily uh, enough, and, and that was quite refreshing. Well, well, funny enough, yesterday was the third time Kate came on, would you believe? She was on late last year. We had a second conversation, which is fairly genial. No, the first time um, I was a bit hard with her, but I just wanted to push her buttons a bit and see what sort of a character I had because I felt there was a bit of, um, I don't know, narcissistic kind of, I want to be famous kind of behaviour 
there and uh, I wanted to push a few buttons, but she did well under that, I thought, the first time. And I liked her, so yeah, she, she's been on a second she, and she a third time. Yeah. She did stand her ground. She's a warrior. She really is. Oh, she took it I on mean, the chin, yeah, and never complained. Actually, it was her that actually sent me on a journey of discovery into uh, alternate medicine, and a lot of it's working, Richie, because, as you know, a year and a half ago, and I think it was in Italy then as well, the last time I called you, I had had a heart attack, and um, looking at uh, lowering blood pressure and all the rest of it naturally, I followed her and I, I done what she said, you know, the diaphragmic deep breathing yeah. and fasting and stuff. And within six weeks, I had gone from uh, critical blood pressure levels at 228 over 136 down into normal range. And it was by following her recommendations. So uh, she's, you know, I take my hat off to her. Yeah, she's great. I really enjoyed speaking with her yesterday and the previous time. And as you said, first time we I had her on, I made it confrontational just to see what sort of character I had. I wasn't brutal. I left her answer, but I was a bit tough with her. But um, she was great. It didn't bother her in the slightest. It did bother some of our listeners. But um, anywho, great call, Sean. Good to hear from you again, pal. Safe travels. Smashing Ripley. Thanks very much. Uh, no, great to hear from you. Sean was in Trieste, but he's on the way back to to Spain. Now, Damien is originally from near Manchester, but he's living in Malaysia at the moment. I hope the line will hold firm for us because you never know. He said he's a smidgen nervous, but he doesn't need to be nervous. You do not need to be nervous speaking with me because I am a, I am a sympathetic ear. Before we say hello to, uh, to Damien, if you'd like to call via the Skype or via the uh, telephone number, here is or here are the details for those. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And and I reckon it's in the small hours of the morning in Malaysia. So let's say hello to Damien. Damien, welcome to the programme. How are you? Very good, mate. Very nice, very nice to speak to you. That's lovely to speak to you. Uh, is it the small hours of the morning there? It is, yeah. Uh, it's, it's either seven or eight hours ahead, depending uh, on the time of day. Wow. I mean, sorry, on the time of year. Pardon me. Um, fortunately, I'm I'm not in the same room as as the wife, so. Uh, so the wife yeah, is sleeping soundly, and it's like I'm thinking. Yeah. It's about two a.m. There is it. Yeah, correct, yeah. Wow. Hey, listen, thanks uh, first of all for reaching out to the programme. You are very welcome. And um, what would you like to say? Oh, listen, before you say anything, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a funny and kind of sinister story doing the rounds of the media today. Apparently, a comedian, a lady from, I think, from Singapore originally, but she's living in the United States now. She does a stand-up routine, Damien. And in the routine in New York recently, she made a joke about flight MH370, the famous disappearing flight. And apparently the Malaysian authorities have asked Interpol to help locate this woman because nobody should be making jokes about MH370. I don't know if you're aware of that story. It's a silly story, but it's doing the rounds of the media today. But anyway, pal... I I, haven't heard that. Yeah, interesting (laughs) one, isn't it? Yeah. Talk about authoritarian, eh? You don't make jokes about our missing planes. I mean, look, it's obviously insensitive, but at the same time... What what, what would you like to talk about, buddy? The floor is yours. Okay. Uh, Well, there's two things. Um, 
Uh, and there's, I've, I've got a list of long on my arm, to be honest, but uh, there's two things that are standing out in my mind. Um, uh, ordinarily, I, I would come to the UK, uh, you know, every year, maybe once or twice a year to see family and friends. Uh, my wife is local here, you know. Um, and then obviously, when COVID happened, uh, that, that, that kind of screwed everything up. But uh, I was, the, the last visit that I had before the whole uh, scandemic, uh, that was like May, it was like May 2019. Uh, that was the last time that I was in UK before that. And I, I watched this uh, series um, on the BBC uh, that one of your listeners actually uh, brought up in, in the chat uh, called Years and Years. And it, it literally has everything in that. And, and, and I remember it. And I, I actually went back and uh, uh, re-watched it. And literally, like a week later, uh, one of your listeners was bringing that up. And it's, and it's got everything in it. Like uh, everything from, you know, uh, climate change to transgenderism to Russia and Ukraine. To, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And it, and it occurred to me that it felt very much like... Um, uh, you know, what's what's the word? The pre-programming word? Oh yeah, predictive programming. Predictive programming. It felt very much like predictive programming. And when I re rewatched it, uh, it, it it blew my mind. There's only there's only six episodes because there was a lot that I'd forgotten. You know. Uh, Damien, remind and, us and again. If, if, what what year did this go out? It it was aired um, May to June in 2019. Wow. So only three four years ago. Yeah. So, so it was so it was literally sort of like what uh, I mean because because we all started hearing about uh, COVID nineteen like what December wasn't it so it was pretty pretty close behind that um, but I think if 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 you've ever doing a show and you're sort of uh, uh, short of material if you watch those six episodes I think you could do a whole show just just going through the propaganda that's pushed out in it and, yeah you know also and just just also, in case. Also the, just in case listeners don't know or are hearing the phrase or the term predictive programming for the first time, I heard it first through the late, great Jim Mars when I was doing a, Spain, a Spanish radio show years ago. And I asked Jim, what, what is it? And Jim said, well, it's through fictional or sometimes documentary type programs. They drop in little nuggets of information about how things are going to be in the future. So they might make a fictional show about a way of living that they desire in 5 or 10 or 15 years' time. And it's almost to acclimatise the people subconsciously to a change that's coming down the road. Now, that's probably not the best definition, Damien, but that's about right, isn't it? That's what predictive programming I, I would, is. No, it's, yeah, I would say that's absolutely spot on. Yeah. And I, and I, think, uh, I think you'll be surprised... Um, <laughs> how much that actually fits with uh, the way years and years is uh, to what you just said there. That's well, I'm going to watch this. I can't wait rip. to watch it, to be honest. I've never seen yeah. this, but you're right. A listener brought it up and now you're bringing it up again. Can I ask you on that? Because I like to yeah. just kind of go off in tangents. We were never short of a film or a series about extraterrestrials, are we? There's always something going on. There's always a big screen release about aliens or there's something on TV. There's a, you know, a documentary series about aliens or even sci the sci-fi channel will have 
and this keeps coming up when people talk about predictive programming. There are those who think we get bombarded with alien imagery and films because there might be a fake alien invasion in the future, which I think just sounds so mad, right? I don't dismiss this now, but it sounds so utterly crazy to me. What do you think of that? Yeah, you know, it, maybe it could be a, a last... Um, uh, uh, if, if, if all else is failing, you know... Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a theory. And it's fanciful, you know, isn't it? That theory, but... But I, I but, but you know, you never know. I mean, I mean, uh, I, I suppose my norm, normalcy bias would say, oh, they'd never try and pull that off. But, but why not? I mean, after everything that's happened over the last three, four years, you, uh, nothing would surprise me now. But, but back to what you said, because uh, we'll stay with that for a minute. It's important. So we, we saw this. You, you saw this six-part series, and it had. In it, it had pretty much everything that's going on with the the, the COVID and the climate change. So, I suppose yeah. it stands to reason that we should be paying very special attention to anything that's on ITV or the BBC when it comes to these types of programs, because it gives us a clue as to what's coming in the next five or six or seven years, maybe even sooner. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also, I think. Um... I think one of the reasons that it, it, it kind of affected me and and the way that it's uh, because okay like like me listening to your show right um, aside from everything that I think you do really well for me being so far away from home essentially uh, you keep me up to date with the news you know um, and because I, I and so the in the same sense you know coming back to the UK and then getting sort of back into the UK culture is always like a little bit of an adjustment but you always want to sort of keep up with what's happening so it, it struck me even even more you know um can i ask you damien while i have you on there you, your your yeah. wife is malaysian and from what it sounds and you live there was we, we obviously read a lot about china um i don't think yeah. japan was as harsh but maybe it was as china how was the malaysian approach to to COVID and knockdowns? Was it pretty harsh there or was it looser than maybe we experienced here in, in the UK? <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to go down that road. But, but I'll, I'll say this, um, it, there were other Asian countries I would have much preferred not to have been in. Um, and, you know, I, I lived in China for nearly a year at one time. That was long ago. Uh, and, you know, I know Vietnam was very bad from people I knew there, China was very bad, Singapore was, um, and, and, and here, comparatively, it, it, it wasn't as bad, but I, you know, I, w- I would have a lot of uh, stories to tell otherwise that, that, that you know, might, uh, might, might surprise you. Uh, but what was interesting was that it, it, things came, became quite sort of easy to predict uh, in the sense of when something happened in the UK, it, it was like you'd, you'd know that a week or two weeks after that, that there was going to be a reaction here. Right. And, and I think that was a quite an important aspect of, of which maybe a lot of people didn't do in their respective countries, was, was really trying to examine what was happening in other countries at the same time, um, and which countries were sort of, you know, following the lead of what another country was doing 
uh, without it being sort of specific to their issues, you know, uh, which which it, it, it became it, quite predictable, uh, which was also quite a little bit scary. Um, but could, could I could I move on to the second thing? Yeah, I and to, I, I'll ask you because I, I am I'm yeah. I'm getting hammered by people, so I'll ask you to be as, as brief yeah. as you can, if you don't mind, Damien. I'm really enjoying listening to you, but I have a lot of calls kind of stacking up in the system. Go ahead, mate. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to make a point on the whole sort of climate change uh, agenda. Um, in uh, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever watched a, a documentary uh, on global dimming. I think it was aired back in. Horizon back in like 2005 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I didn't see it, but I'm uh, aware of it. Well, what was interesting, if you remember the propaganda back uh, when COVID was happening, you know, you were seeing pictures of like um, dolphins swimming up the, the, the canal. And, That's right. You know, all this stuff about about how climate change was like. It was, it, uh, the, the world was getting better because of uh, uh, everybody being locked down. Uh, but what was interesting, if you if you if you watch this about uh, global dimming, there's a lot of people that thought that uh, we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't, in the sense that if you take away the global dimming effect, then the planet will heat up really really fast, and then we're all doomed. Um, and interestingly, you know, I'd heard about this theory and investigated it, and then all of a sudden, the, the scientist that used to say this was suddenly jumping back into my feed on YouTube and so on, like it was going to happen, you know? And this guy's been predicting the end of the world since about 2007, uh, and no, and nothing happened. Uh, and everything just went back to normal. And uh, th this all came from the idea that uh, after 9-11 in the US, they noticed that over the two weeks where all the planes were down and activity stopped, that the temperature went up like a, a degree and a half. Right. So, so the theory goes that if 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 everything just stops across the planet, then the, the planet will suddenly heat up really fast because there's no more global dimming. Um, but yeah, it, and, it, and it didn't happen. But yeah, I just I've said that really quick. I'm not going into detail. There, no, no, you've made you've made sense though. It's very interesting. And sure, look, you know, don't you, Damien? It's going to be a subject that we'll get into increasingly more often as time goes on on this programme. But uh, it's been great to hear from you in Malaysia. Yeah. You said you're originally from these parts. Which part of Manchester? Um, no, I'm, uh, well, I was uh, born in a little town you wouldn't have heard of uh, near Burnley. Uh, but it's about sort of uh, half an hour, 40 minutes on the train uh, outside of, uh, you know, if I wanted to visit Manchester. Right. So well, we've actually, I guess we've got a lot in common. I'm the same age as you. I have a foreign wife. We're both Man U fans similar area you know yeah uh, fantastic how, how long how long have you been uh, married and wh where did you meet your wife as a matter of interest uh well i i, I actually this is a bit embarrassing i met her on facebook but um, what's embarrassing about that we, it's in, becoming increasingly well, uh, more common isn't it people meet online <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so uh but but then we we, we met in a bar and and uh, uh we it was actually over a man united game she's a man U fan as well and uh, and yeah we, did, we, we we didn't really watch much of the game and you're happy in Malaysia. Um, well. You're happy to be there and build your life there. Uh, yeah. I mean, as time goes by as well, and I see what's going on in the sort of five eyes nations, um, I, I do feel a bit happier here. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, everywhere's got their problems and everywhere is part of the agenda, I guess. But, uh, um, it, yeah, in the end of the day, I've got, I've got a little daughter as well who's seven. Uh, 
quite amusingly last week she came home and yeah. uh, and, and made a comment about climate change she said uh, daddy we've got to look after the environment because right. otherwise tornadoes tornadoes are going to go everywhere and sea level I just rises. out loud and yeah yeah well anybody with a child now tornadoes yeah. anybody with a child this is, this is what you're up against anybody with a child i'm going to take another call damien yeah. thanks for staying up and for ringing in i really appreciate it continued success there in oh, malaysia thank- and the best to your family mate Thank you so much, and I hope uh, we could speak again. Take care, Richard. Thanks very much, Damien. Damien in Malaysia. Now, Eddie is in Ireland, and Eddie's been trying to get through. Let's get Eddie on. The contact details for the programme, I've given you the WhatsApp details. You can phone or you can Skype too, by the way. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And only going by the 353 number, I think Eddie is in is in God's country. I think he's in Ireland. How are you doing, Eddie? That's right, Eddie. That's right, Richie. Thanks very much. That's lovely to have you on, Richie, pal. Great. Whereabouts are it's you? Great. I'm in, I'm in. I'm on the mean streets of Waterford. Ah, you're a man. Are you a Desha man? Or are you from somewhere Absolutely. else? Absolutely. Hey, one of us, get in there, Eddie. Do Absolutely. we know each other, one Eddie? Of, one of us. Do we know each Actually, other know, at all, no? I know a few people, you know. Um, Audrey Farrell would be one of them. I'm a good friend of her son's. Oh, fantastic. Is Audrey still, she's still healthy? She's, she's still going. She's still going, yeah. That's a Dr. Audrey Farrell, by the way. My, my family doctor. No fear of her. This, this is amazing. Wonderful stuff, Eddie. So um, yeah. look, I'm glad you, you you got in touch, mate. You know how it works. The floor. Sure, I've been listening. I've been listening to you, Richie, for years. I mean, back since before you were in Manchester, and I've been promoting you around Waterford and stuff. And you know, you oh, have, thanks a, very you much have a reputation, and the reputation is building all the time, which is great. That's nice. You know what? You'll probably. I don't know if you'll understand this. I, I mention it to the missus all the time. It's. Um, I get more of a kick when I hear that somebody back home might be listening, but but from Waterford yeah. because I had my obviously time on radio there, so I get a great buzz out of that, Eddie. So uh, thanks for for saying that. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. No, I mean I think that uh, it might be a good idea to come over here, um, Richie. Maybe um, you'd get a good attendance down in the forum if the forum was still um, up and running. But I'm sure they'd have somewhere to host you in in town. Leave that with me, will you? It's funny. It's funny. I I was in touch with a company which promotes a couple of well-known comedians in Ireland, and they asked me yeah. a few months back about coming to the country and maybe doing some of that show that I produced back in 2019. And I said, "Sure, look, come back to me and with some ideas." And yeah, look, why not? I've not been home for nearly 20 years, but um, yeah. nice company, kind of reasonably well-known company. But um, they were a bit worried about the backlash from possible protests and stuff so it kind of went by the wayside but i don't know sure the whole thing has gone so haywire now that you know there's protests about so many things that you could probably slip in under the under the radar you know yeah i don't know what this I is going to be i don't think you're that controversial anyway richie I don't, no no you know, but there's a lot but, of people uh, know yeah but they're yeah we've had it here before we're, we're, we're even it's something we're very you know much aware of going into um I'm doing a talk at the uh, Fab Cafe in Manchester in September and it's something that yeah. we have to be aware of because, you know, there are people who would prefer, <coughs> excuse me, that the Richie Allen show didn't exist and there are people who would try to persuade the owners of venues not to host people like me because I've interviewed people, 
you know, with various opinions in the past. But um, I'll tell you what, well, to be continued on that, Eddie, but I know you've got opinions on stuff. And while well, you're my here... Opinion, my opinion about that, um, Richie, is that you can't comply your way out of tyranny, which was a phrase used during the during the COVID. Yeah. And it's the same thing with these people that are, you know, uh, trying to shut you down. I think the way to, to deal with that is deal with them head on. That'd be my opinion now. Obviously, I'm not in the position you're in, but uh, I don't... Um, well, you no. know what I think, Eddie, right? I, I, I genuinely believe, and I get, I get labelled as some sort of shill for saying this, I genuinely yeah. believe that non-violent civil disobedience by lots of people at the same time is a viable option when it comes to getting out of the tyranny. But this idea... Yeah, you I, could say that. What, you you yeah. could say that. Sorry now for, but there is a for, for ahead, button in. But if you, if you look at the millions of people that walked the streets in London before the Iraq war, and they still went to war. So, you know, I think a lot of these demonstrations are controlled. Can I counter that? As well. Can I counter that by saying you are 100% yeah. right to as in excess of a million people that marched in London and said, not in our name, do not go and invade Iraq. Imagine that million people. Imagine they didn't end their protest when they got back on the buses. Imagine they refused to go to work, Eddie. Imagine they decided... Yeah, this know, is the problem. Today, with... people are so caught up in debt and yeah. they have to work. You know, I mean, that's what people do you are mean faced with, so... Do you mean physical confrontation with the, with the pillars no, of the think, state? I don't think confrontation. I think non-compliance is, is what we have to do and... Which is what you I know, believe. Self-sustainability and local local production. I mean, yeah. I'm standing here now, I'm looking at my greenhouse. We have um, 30 square meter greenhouse, and we'd probably get to Christmas on the vegetables. So that's bloody good. That isn't you know, that is bloody good, Eddie. Like so I like that. So becoming self-initiatives, becoming self-sufficient, right? Absolutely brilliant. But on the non-compliance, look, I totally agree with this. Yeah. I I I mentioned. Look, I I live in inner city Salford. It's a it's a housing estate, right? That's where I live. It's a working yeah. class housing estate. The streets around where I live are disgusting. They are filthy. And I've heard neighbours complain about it because they pay an exorbitant amount of council tax every month. They pay 130, 140 pounds a month. And for that, they get nothing. You know, yeah. this is a very minor issue. This is not, you know, this is not the great reason. Well, right? I mean, I understand that, like, you know, the main point you're saying is that, like, we pay taxes yes. and we get nothing for your taxes. And you imagine know, if a great group of people in Salford came together and said, you know what, they can go and sing for their taxes until they start yeah. making our streets cleaner and safer and until we start getting some bang for our buck. I totally agree with the non-compliance angle, Eddie. I, I'd love it. It's, my, it, it. it's my dream that that people will say, no, yeah, well, we're not complying. Go ahead, pal, over to you. Kicking around all the politicians this and the politicians that, but like during the tyranny of uh, COVID, now I believe COVID was a tyranny. I don't really know what um, what was going on in terms of a virus. In my view, I think it's more likely. Just dropping out on me there, Eddie, at the moment, which is a bit of a shame. You're oh, you're back. Uh, oxygen absorption. We lost we lost you for a minute. I think you might have been in an Sorry. area of low coverage. We just lost about five or six <laughs> seconds there. Go ahead. You're talking about COVID tyranny. Anyway, uh, what I was saying was that, um, you know, nobody can really say for sure what went on during the COVID, but one thing for sure is it went out like a light. And um, 
Now people are kind of uh, kicking around and they're saying, oh, well, it wasn't as bad as uh, we thought it was and stuff like this. I don't really think that, um, you know, the, the fact is that the people that were enforcing the rules were here in Ireland on Garda Síochána. I mean, I had, a, I had a situation with a guard very, very early on in the COVID where he literally tried to pull me out the window of the car because um, I told him I was travelling under the protection of the Irish Constitution. You're kidding me. This guy actually tried like to answer. physically remove you from your car because you said, <laughs> yeah, I'm a free then, man, I'll go and where then, I like. Um, and then I, put, I took my foot off the clutch and uh, the car started moving down the road and he was still hanging out the window, so he decided to let go. But I, I pulled up after that and we had a little bit of a, a chat, but he got more of a fright than I did. So Right. Did he not realise how yeah. utterly no. fascistic no. it was for him to be trying <laughs> no. to tell you to get out of your no, car? No, they definitely, they definitely got worse. They definitely got worse. I mean, the things they did to people, like, I mean, not so much here in Ireland, but definitely in Australia and, and stuff, there was crazy stuff happening. Yeah. People getting arrested for walking in the park and... We had it here, didn't we, we in some of the out, big country We were parts, swimming yeah. out in Kilfarrisie one day and uh, the guards came along and told us we had to get in out, of the, in out of the beach. Is there anything more healthy than swimming in Kilfarrisie? You're out there yeah. in the fresh air, you know. <laughs> well, g- we probably won't go to Kilfarrisie tonight now, but we'll probably go to Dunmore, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, and the guy says, get out of the sea yeah. and go home. Um, why did yeah, they exactly, do that? Yeah. I, I still don't understand why some of these men and women, because they are human beings, who wore these uniforms... Why it didn't well, occur to them that this was farcical? Well, Eddie, or sorry, Richie, this will bring me on to the point uh, that I wanted to make, and the reason I called you was the case of Aaron Brady. Now, I'm sure you've probably heard the case of Aaron Brady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his father um, has been doing a lot of work, Tony Brady. And, um, you know, the court case is coming up, the hearing is coming up in October, and they haven't a shred of evidence against him. Not a shred of now, can you stand still where you are? Because we just lost you again. This is really interesting now. Eddie, we lost you again. Can you, no, can you just stay in the one spot? Listen, I do what, I do, I do what you're doing. I walk around <laughs> when I'm on the phone. But just before you say any more, let me give the gist to our listeners, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of years ago, a man called Aaron Brady was found guilty of murdering a detective guard called Adrian Donoghue. And he was given a mandatory 40-year sentence for doing that. And Aaron's supporters, particularly his father, who's tirelessly campaigned, they say that, that, that Aaron didn't do it and that it can be proven that he didn't do it. And this is a big deal. And uh, I've not really covered this because I've not been able to get into it in terms of getting anybody on air. But you've brought it up. Why? Why is this important today? Well- well, because, you know, when we think about things like the Guildford Four and the Birmingham Six, you know, uh, as being travesties of justice and Irish innocent Irish people being locked up in British jails. But what about innocent Irish people being locked up in Irish jails? Yeah. 45 years for... Now, I mean, generally you could say that if you don't know the circumstances, you don't know what happened. But I think given the, you know, not only does Tony Brady talk about um, what didn't happen, he goes into detail in the evidence that was given in the court. And there's so many holes in what they're saying that it doesn't make any sense at all. There was kind of one instance where a set of lights came across a road and there was a video camera in somebody's house. But you couldn't tell what kind of a car it was. Yeah. 
Can I, can I just say, Eddie, can I just say, can I just say that you will lose most of the listeners now by giving these details because they won't know the case. So let me do this, right? Let me yeah. do this. Yeah. Gemma O'Doherty has covered this extensively and she's on she Bit Shoot, yeah. she's on um, a number of other, uh, Odyssey and a no- number of other channels. Um, just look up the fake trial of Aaron or Aaron, it's Aaron actually, Brady. Um, and read about it so people can read it yeah he did uh, Tony did a three hour interview I think it was yesterday um, and I think it's broadcast somewhere on some platform I don't I haven't found it myself now but that probably would be um, would be a good place to start if I find the link to that I'll send it on to you do yeah because it is interesting I mean I I might try and get in touch with um, his his father and, and invite him on so long as I can Get into I can get an understanding of the the court case myself and and then do that. That's what we're here for, of course. I know it's a very emotive case, and I know that um, anybody who's spoken about it or made podcasts about it, they've been absolutely hammered by the Irish media. I'm well aware of that too, um, Eddie. Uh, Aaron Brady. Well, it's, it, I mean, it's crazy, and they just keep repeating the same stuff. That like, um, you know, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, but they don't say why he's guilty or you know. It's all this kind of, um, should the, you know yourself, the media is, the, the vast majority of the media is completely bought and sold with um, revenue from Big Pharma. I mean, that's basically, yeah. you know, the Irish Times and the whole lot are just um, controlled by the money. And my, my basic philosophy in looking at anything would be follow the money. You were talking about the, the false flag um, terror and all that kind of stuff and you know, a lot, of, a lot of those things, I don't know if you've looked into the Boston bombing, but um, when you see the, the videos of that... that it's funny you mentioned the Boston that, bombing. I was talking to yeah. my engineer, Paul Ripley, about that today. I interviewed a gentleman about six, seven years ago who claimed to have been an actor paid to take part in a crisis management drill at the Boston bombing. And the guy's story. I, I remember up. that. I, I think I might remember that. Like, yeah, we are, we chat, are yeah. kind of avid listeners. Um, yeah, Richie, like it's quite. But well, so much has happened Eddie, in the meantime. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, I, I did. I did interview. Actually, if I had to put my last couple of shillings on one particular event being absolutely faked, I would say with no hesitation it would be Boston. Well, obviously the seventh of July bombings because that's just farcical in the extreme. But yeah, the Boston Marathon. I'll give you that, Eddie. Stinks to high heaven yeah. that no evidence yeah, well, that we those brothers were involved. We won't go any further than that. I mean, I know people that uh, you've mentioned on your show, and I think Tony Gosling was talking about him yesterday. He doesn't kind of rate him as uh, as being credible, but I think if you look into his um, his very extensive work, then you know it's it's worth looking at. Um, it's worth looking at his work and then forming an opinion. You're talking about this guy Hall, is it? Is this the guy you're referring uh, Rich, to? Uh, Rich Hall, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, I know him years, you see. I know him a long time, or of him, yeah. like going way, way, yeah. way back. And yeah, um, I, well, I, I, I just see Grifter, uh, me. You're, you're, yeah. Grifters are good. Grifters are good at doing some interesting stuff to cover the grift, but a lot of it is grifting, and that following the people who had been injured at the arena. I mean, that's just pathetic, really. I don't think the guy should go to prison, but... He was caught red-handed trying to... He was harassing people, saying they weren't injured. And look, listen, people can... This is genuinely well, no, an open no, well, an op- no, Richie, an open no, forum. This is coming from the BBC now. Don't forget the BBC. <laughs> you know, like, no, so. no, no. I, I live in Salford. I've lived in Manchester. I know yeah. that an explosion happened at the arena six years ago. I know that. 
I know it as much as you can know it. Nobody can yeah. be 100% sure of anything. I've said a thousand times, who did it or how it happened, I don't know. I find so many holes in the story that Salman Abedi did it. It's laughable how many holes are in, are in that particular story. Well, when you say there was but, an explosion, I mean, I think what you mean is there was a bang. There was an explosion and people died and people were seriously injured. And a neighbour of mine treated people at the um, Royal Infirmary in Manchester. My neighbour did, and she's not a liar. She dealt with people missing fingers. One guy missing an ear, another guy who lost his leg. I mean, she did that. I mean, she triaged these people. So so something happened, in my opinion. You know... But I'm happy to yeah. I'm happy for people to come on the show and say they don't believe it. This is genuinely an open source, a free speech platform. I'm just saying that um I I believe that Rich Hall knows this, but he would omit certain things that don't fit his narrative to sell a story to buy likes and clicks and so that people can buy products on his website. That's just my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right, by the way, but that's just how I see a guy like Rich right, Hall, yeah. and I think he does the yeah. independent media no credit whatsoever when he carries on like that. But that's just my opinion. He might say I'm a complete dickhead. He might say that Rich Allen's an idiot. Fair enough. But that's how, <laughs> how I see it. But you're right. Your central yeah. point is right, Eddie. False flag events are genuine. They do happen. They're, they happen to change people's opinion, to, um, to further an agenda. They happen all the time. But sometimes people do get killed. And people died, in my opinion, as certain as I can be, people died in Manchester. Yeah. And um, but but why and how? I oh yeah, well know. I mean, Richie, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm you can just if saying you want. that free speech uh, you can say what you makes want a, makes a good point, and I think it's worth looking at his documentary. You know, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I wouldn't tell I'm people not, not to watch his documentary. I believe, I believe it. I don't know. Yeah, right and. There's, there's many things you don't know, but one thing I do know is if you look at the um, official NASA website of the lunar lander, right, and you consider that that is the craft that supposedly landed yeah. on the moon, <laughs> and you, you, could, you could mock it up in, uh, in an art class. It's funny, I used to... <laughs> That's I, an official picture now. Yeah, listen, right? so, you've sold me on that one. I, 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 used to, <laughs> I used to speak to somebody very close to Stanley Kubrick, I mean, people can probably yeah. guess. I used to, I used yeah. to speak to Vivian Kubrick, and Vivian okay. said, "I'm, I'm, I'm 100 certain my dad wasn't involved." She said, um, yeah. "But, but having been around films my entire life, she says um, it certainly looks very dodgy when you look back <laughs> at that." You know, so you've sold me on that, Eddie. I'll give you the final word before I take another call. You have no idea how happy I am that somebody from the... I think you're the first Waterford caller to call in. You <laughs> no way, that? no way. I reckon and you I've are. I've been listening yeah. to you for a good 10 years, Richie. I just, I just happened to come across you on some show somewhere and I picked, up the, I picked up the blast straight away and I said, who's this guy? Who's this character? <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. <laughs> who's this character? Um, uh, Richie, I'd just like to wish you all the best and uh, hopefully we see you in Waterford uh, sooner rather than later. And you too, Eddie. Lovely to meet you, pal. Thanks very much. That's Eddie Power from Waterford. Proper Waterford name too, by the way. Um, Edward Depoir, we would say back home. Nice to have him on. Andy asks, um, why not get Richard Hall on the show to put his case forward? He wouldn't come on, Richard Hall. He wouldn't come on the programme. And that's fair enough as well. Um, so there you are. But he's not really got a leg to stand on, you know. He was stalking people who were injured in the explosion at the arena to try and prove they were liars, which is pretty shitty because he knew that these people, this particular person was injured. And he continued to harass the person. You see, I don't want to get into a rant, 
I really don't, you know. Not everything is black and white. I see the guys being a grifter. He's been around for years. Look at Stu Peters. There's a classic example now. Stu Peters, right? Stu Peters is a classic. Just before we get Christine on, because Christine is next. Stu Peters is a classic. He's a pound shop Alex Jones. He's come out of nowhere in the last couple of years, Stu Peters. And he's put together a website and a very polished looking podcast. Very polished, right? He wears a suit. He's confident. He's articulate. And he's screaming out what people want to hear about vaccine injuries and about Trump and all of that stuff. He's screaming it out. But just look at the website. Look at the website. It is packed, packed from side to side, from top to bottom with products that that Stu Peters is selling. So what is Stu Peters doing? He is selling products where he's making an enormous amount of money. And he is doing that by attracting people to a website. Attracting them by offering them things they want to hear and see. We want to hear and see. We want validation that our theories about vaccine injuries are genuine. We want validation that the deep state is trying to destroy Donald Trump, even though the deep state is not trying to destroy Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is the deep state incarnate. We want to hear this stuff. We want to share this stuff. Stu Peters knows this. He's very clever. Put together a brilliant website. Interview people which, 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 which ultimately are not interviews. There are two people sitting alongside one another, massaging each other's egos. It's a circle jerk. People want to see this crap, so they log on to it, and ultimately they buy the products. And Richard D. Hall was doing that 15 years ago. That's my opinion. Um, like it or lump it, you don't have to listen, ultimately. Guess who's on the line? It's an old pal. It's only Christine from Limavadi. Thanks, thank God for a feminine voice on this evening's program, Christine. How are You're you? You're okay. <laughs> Can was you a, hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. There was a, there was a. What's the word I'm looking for? Is it a dearth, a dearth of female voices? But you're here anyway. How are things? <laughs> Not too bad, Richie. Um, I was looking to change it, but I'm just wondering any of the listeners heard of a of a film that's coming out on the fourth of July. It's in theaters in America. I don't know if it'll come here. Called Out of the Shadows. No, it's who's about in it? child trafficking. No, this and is news th- to me. Th- this guy is he's a Mormon, but he left a job with the government and has set up his own I don't know what it would what you would business or I don't know what it is. He's adamant it's a it's a billion pound industry a year worldwide. The child trafficking, and he has mercenaries and him and if. If he, like, I don't know how they get to know it. I haven't watched a trailer of the thing yet, but i just seen it last night and I thought, oh, my God, I know what goes on. But, like, uh, and they've made it you were surprised. film. You were surprised at the scale of it, were you, when you heard those yeah. numbers? Jim, that Jim Caviezel, you know, the actor that acted in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Yes. He's acting in it. And um, he, this man says that, you know, he would go in then and get the children. Like when he, I don't know how people contact him or anything to know, but it's Richie, it's it's scary, Do you know. And I think a lot of this immigration, these immigrants, and that a lot of it is trafficking. And then, um, 
it also went on to say that, you know, the way the borders in America, so is it Southern America, they're open or something. And the Mexican cartel, when women come through, they rape them. And it's the, to show other women like fear and what's going on, they hang their underwear on trees. And apparently there's a part somewhere that has just got thousands of women's knickers hanging on trees. You're this man me. didn't know what the significance of it was until he looked into it. This was another guy. Thought it was something that some artist had done, maybe. And then well, he, he finds just hadn't out a clue because it was in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Do you know, but Christine, this, if anybody takes a trip down the Costa del Sol West from Malaga Airport, so if you 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 get you pick up a rental car at Malaga Airport, travel mm-hmm. down the Costa del Sol, stay on the coast road, so go past Marbella, go past Estepona. Pretty much on every second roundabout, there will be young, and when I say young, I mean 13, 14 year old mm-hmm. Eastern European girls standing there. That's cr- oh, In so 2023, awesome. and the Spanish police don't give a shite. I remember asking um, one of these girls, because we stopped, Mrs. and myself stopped. It's such a terrible thing to see. Mm-hmm. Some of them speak English. Asked them, did their parents know where they were? They won't speak to you, you see. No. And, uh, you know, terrified. Would you not go and speak to the police? And one of these girls said, uh, basically, the police don't give a damn. They laugh because they're in the pockets of the traffickers. So these kids are picked up somewhere. It could be Poland. It could be Belarus. It could be Est- Estonia, anywhere. Just, just, just kidnapped off the streets. Mm-hmm. It, like, 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 you're, 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 like you heard, billion dollar a year industry. Gangs oh, then take them across I Europe. I was shocked yeah. when I heard it. It's horrendous. Like, this man says uh, he will fight he says to get it stopped but you know what he blamed a big lot of it on was the porn industry he says it's fueling it how did he justify blaming the I porn industry I don't know industry because on? I haven't heard the full interview because it's an American thing I'm only getting snippets but the the movie he went to he went to Hollywood he went to all these different places to try and get it out nobody would touch it it could be but that it's he's going out, um... it's going out in theatres on the 4th of July and they're hoping that it'll you know, seep worldwide. Apparently it's shocking. Yeah, it's the sort of film that you could imagine being in the more independent cinemas. Like we had, we had the corner house here. Must be what it is in America, you know, independent theatres. We wouldn't really have them here. Well, you'd have a few. Carrick had one, Carrick and Sure has one, but, you know, it's getting people to show them like, but um, I'm hoping you can buy it and watch it, you know, when once it's been released in the theatres. I suppose when he said porn is fueling it, he might mean that as youngsters are watching more and more ah, violent that's, that's pornography. What he meant with that. Do you remember the yeah. guest you had on the girl? Yeah. Um, Marilyn. Do you remember the yes. That's he more or less repeated that they can't form relationships and all that there, and it was like I thought, oh my god. So these are customers. There then. has to be something to this, you know. Not that I didn't disbelieve her. I, I yeah. do believe her. Because you only have to look at young people. I mean, they're they don't date anymore. They don't go out on dates. They just go out, meet somebody, and the next thing they move them in. Lisa and is listening. Together. Lisa is listening to this with interest. She's aware of the film. She says, and can't um, wait to uh, to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you apparently this the director that done it as well is uh, very good. Now I haven't heard their full story, but it would be worth, I suppose, doing a background dive into this man and. Like why he would leave, I don't think he's a young man, a job working in the federal government when he uncovered what was going on. He put up his own money, formed this company and it's like they go in and 
free these children. Do you ever hear about the Franklin Credit Union scandal? Do you remember that? No, I've never heard of that now, Richard. So it was a big scandal in the 80s in, in America where children were being trafficked around the country by a very, very, very senior Republican called Larry something or other. Let me Larry just bring, Strink, no. No, no, let me bring it up now as I'm speaking to you, Christine, because it's very important. Well, this man has had death threats from big governments all around the world. He now has to go with security. Yeah. Larry it's, King Jr., Larry King Jr. This is right. real now. Must this, look into that. Yeah, the, the, no, no, no um, relationship whatsoever to the television broadcaster no. Larry King. But this guy ran the Franklin Community Federal Credit Union in, in Omaha. And he was about the third most powerful um, Republican in the country. He was the most powerful black man in politics in the United States. And he was involved in trafficking children, some of them from orphanages around the country on planes to be abused. This actually happened. And I think a British TV company made a documentary about it. I think it was um, not Panorama. It might have been Horizon, maybe. Horizon, and it never yeah. never went to where, would you believe? Not because oh it was God. untrue, but very, very seriously powerful people came in and Stop said, it. you're not, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think they're all, I think all governments probably have a hand in this. I really do. Because, like, I, I do I don't buy the fighting men that are coming in to fight. I don't, I, I do and I don't buy that. But like, where are their families? Where are their children? What, you know, what's, what's going on? Are they, are they being put, you know, I was thinking like, are they being put out of their countries so that their wives and children can then be yeah. used some, you know, it's that just might be all the case mad. Now. I mean, I argued this earlier on with Sean, but I was only doing the devil's advocate. I don't I know. I didn't hear the beginning of your yeah, program because no, you, I had you, to pick my grandson You up. might be right. Like I made the point to Sean that, you know, for years, Irish guys went to England and they did often leave behind the families and they went and they worked on building sites and sent and the money back and sent the money back. So that wouldn't be a new no. thing. It, it, it might go some way to explaining some of these young men. I'm going to be called naive and a shill. I'm not. I'm just doing my bloody job. Nothing is black and white. Of course, some of these young men might be here for nefarious reasons. Of course. No doubt about well, that. And of course, some yeah, of them will well, be a there danger. Was a thing yesterday I watched, well, you know, the Irish Inquiry or Inquirer. Yes. That's a, yes. They done, uh, apparently, it's Braveney House down south. It's like a hotel and a conference centre where they have all these immigrants, right? But there's one man there. I can't remember where he's from, but he's in Galway, a hospital or something, sick at the minute. He's got diabetes and a clot. But he blew the whistle on the fact that the immigrants were being asked to be their own security men or were being told it would help their, um, you know, their visa. So they were looking yesterday to put this man's wife, three children, she's pregnant, out of this hotel and move them from, it was Mayo to Cavan, I think. It's so, it's a basket uh, case situation back home. Oh, it's, from, it's, from uh, here. Like, yeah. I was speaking to a woman the day and uh, her and her husband were looking a couple of days away break over the 12th of July. They can't get a hotel that isn't literally looking for nearly a thousand pounds. Because they're commandeering hotels for... But I think and then the migrants. rest of them that can basically charge what they want. Because they know people will pay it. Christine, you've had the last word today. Just before you go, what's the name of the film again that, that's coming out? Out of the Shadows. Out of the Shadows. Or Jim out of, either out of the Shadows or Out of the Shadow. 
and it's in theaters in America soon, and you think it might be the Fourth of July. It's been released in I'll say twelve hundred theaters in America, but don't quote me on that. That's really interesting because we don't you don't get we don't see as many documentaries getting big releases anymore, and it is it's not a dramatization; it's an actual documentary, is it? No, I think it might be done dramatization. Yeah, because Jim Caviezel's acting on it, so right, like so, yeah. I think he's a brilliant actor to myself personally. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, um, and he tends only to get involved in, you know, things that are, you know, I don't think he's been bought like a lot in Hollywood. Yeah, it's funny you said this because somebody else has sent a message in about Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson oh, might have sure something. he's been sidelined in America. Yeah, and he might have something to do with this film, apparently. I'm oh, being told. Might have. I know he was talking about doing a three-part documentary on traffic, and then I think he's getting all sorts of threats as well. Oh, well, that, that's, that, that must be it then. We're at cross purposes here. So Gibson is doing a separate thing, a, a documentary. I've got to get out of the... Pro- I've got three minutes no before I, I'm done. Great call, Christine. Good to hear from you. That'll do, Richie. I'm heading to the gym now. Go and, go and do your crunches and your weights and... Oh, I don't know about weights tonight, but anyway. <laughs> well, have a good one, Christine. Thanks for that. Christine on the line from Limavadi. Very interesting. Out of uh, the shadows. And Bree sent a message to say the Franklin Credit Union documentary, would you believe it, is still available to watch on YouTube, even though it never aired on television. Thanks so much for that, Bree. Uh, Phil in Florida is a great friend of the programmes. We love Phil. He wanted to get on today. He's never been on the phone in. I did interview him about six or seven years ago. Phil, we'll get you on next time first up. First up, Phil. And we'll have a good old chinwag. In fact, we should get you back on the regular show. So apologies for not getting you on. That's it for the programme. Really enjoyed all the calls. Every one of them. Thanks for calling in. Until tomorrow at five o'clock UK time. It's a slow and tumble from me. Bye for now. Bye now. (laughs) 